Artism Podcast, where we explore creativity, inspiration, and the determination it takes to be an artisan. This podcast is for artisans, by artisans. I'm your host, Kathy Duraghi, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our next guest. My guest today is Joshua Abramson, a writer, keynote speaker, and brand strategist who works with companies and individuals from startups to Fortune 500 leaders in helping them define their brand DNA and helping them craft effective uh, communication to express their core value. However, more significantly, he is the I love you man. Um, having written about the subject of why it's important to have I love you as a core value for business and why it matters. I'm excited to welcome Joshua to hear more about this fascinating topic. Welcome, Joshua. So excited to have you on the Artisan Podcast today. It's great to be here, and I love you, Katty. Oh, I love you too, Joshua. Oh, wonderful. And that's what I want to speak about. Um, obviously, initially, we met uh, through some work that you had hired Artisan to do for you when you were at Symantec. And then we found out we had all these common denominators uh, in our background and entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurs organization. But I think what's fascinating for me is the work that you do with businesses to help them uh, really find their core value and really find out and um, hone in on why I love you in business is so important. And I'd love to share that with the audience um, and go from there. Wonderful. It's uh, what I love about the movement. And I'm the Johnny Appleseed of I Love You. And I have a movement called I Love You World, where all seven and a half billion of us start every conversation with I Love You and go from there. And um, I'm about to publish the book, um, I Love You Made Easy and Why It Matters. Um, But my second book is I love you for business and why it matters. And I've had the great privilege of not only building and growing businesses that stand in I love you as the core value, but I've also gotten to work with conscious capitalists like eBay and PayPal and LinkedIn coming up on supporting them in standing in I love you as a core value. How did this come out, come, come to pass? Well, uh, about 11 years ago, I was in a development course where over um, four months or so, I needed to build a movement that took an entire community. So I couldn't just go through on my own strengths and build everything on my own. You really needed to be able to um, uh, to be able to enlist an entire community to be able to work on your project and bring it to fruition. And uh, I had an amazing project, which I was so fired up about. And uh, we were coming into the one month mark and going into our all day work way, all day uh, work day. And I hadn't done uh, any of my work. I hadn't worked my plan. And I thought that was Mm -hmm. pretty curious. Mm -hmm. So I gave myself the prompt, consider that there's another project that you could be doing. And uh, I took a shower where I do all my deep thinking. (laughs) And 
the voice spoke to me and said, how about everybody starts every conversation with I love you and go from there? And I said, are you freaking kidding me? I'm from New York City. Maybe screw you to start every conversation. I love you. Got the wrong guy. And the voice said, why not try it and see what happens? Hmm. So for 11 years, I've been seeing what happens and swinging out one I love you at a time. And uh, I give play shops on I love you made easy, which gets people to be able to uh, dissolve all of their um, preconceptions, all of their stories, all their limitations around I love you and gets them crazy freed up around sharing I love you. And then um, we present them with the I love you challenge, which is go out in your life for one week and share I love you like crazy and see what happens. Fantastic. What was the, when you first got out and this was the first person or the first company that you started your dialogue with I love you, what was the reaction? Well, um, in business, at the time, um, I had founded and was running a precious metals business in e-commerce. And precious metals is a commodity business. So I don't know where you buy your gasoline, but do you have particular brand loyalty or are you more driven by price? Uh, brand loyalty. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's, actually, it's a combination, I would say. Yeah, so if your favorite brand was suddenly 30 or 40 cents a gallon higher than your second favorite brand, I think you'd probably go with the second favorite brand, correct? Def definitely. Okay, so precious metals is the exact same thing. And we were definitely uh, David versus Goliath, yet we had uh, great success, especially building uh, the business during the height of the Great Recession. And where we really differentiated ourselves was by being an I love you company and standing in I love you as our core value. And so how that looked, um, our biggest um, marketplace in lead generation was eBay, which is the, I think, the most demanding marketplace on earth. Mm -hmm. And the company is now in its 13th year and... Uh, 20,000 um, positive ratings at 100%. So we have never had one piece of negative feedback on the eBay platform. It means that you answer all of your customer service questions seven days a week, and we strive to answer them within 10 minutes. So uh, an incredibly wow. lightning response. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, is that we made it clear that we love our customers. They feed our families after all. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't we love them? And we just treat them with the greatest love, uh, respect, and equanimity um, and give them peace of mind. And it's a beautiful piece of trust marketing as well because they know what they're going to get from us always. Mm -hmm. And they would send us love letters as we would send them. We mm. put a handwritten note that was a love note to every single first-time customer uh, in every package. Amazing. And so by taking those steps, we built... Uh, in a completely commodity-based um, space, 
uh, we built a brand that really resonated and that gained us customers for life. And from that sparked this entire movement that you're now sharing with other companies. Yes. So out of those experiences, um, eBay took notice. And they said, you are one of our uh, exceptional customers in a space that's really not uh, the leading space on the marketplace for integrity. So are you interested in working with us to be able to bring your best practices to other sellers? Mm. And then while you're at it, um, what can you do for us to be able to work on our integrity? And with eBay... You know, they were the first great online I Love You company. Mm -hmm. You know, they started in 1995. And I was thinking about that today. Um, I didn't have a home computer in 1995. Yep. So at work, I used to, you know, you'd hear the dial-up tone. (laughs) And you'd see these uh, websites that were, you know, basically one page deep. And uh, that was the era that eBay started in. And within uh, just a few years, they had become the first enormous exponential growth company um, uh, on the internet. And they were all based on the premise. Uh, Pierre Omidyar built the entire platform on the premise is that people are basically honest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when he was questioned, it's like, well, how do you know that that assumption is true? And he said, I don't. Because if it's not, then it's just not going to work. But he leapt in uh, thinking that people are honest. So it's honest people doing business with honest people. And they underwent this just enormous, explosive, exponential growth in a way that he nor anybody else in online business could have ever anticipated. Um, Who knew that catching lightning in a bottle was going to explode so quickly? Um, and then, you know, their rating system, their feedback was positive, um, negative, and I think 64 or 80 characters max. So it was completely self-policing and people building affinities and trust with each other based on, um, shared interests. And it spread across the entire globe, um, with, um, incredible speed. And, um, you know, at some point they kind of lost their way. Um, They lost their vision somewhat. And as they were coming into their 20th anniversary, they really wanted to be able to regain that spark and that spirit of what made them so unique and what made them the not Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, So not a commodity marketplace. And um, so I had the opportunity to be able to speak at Leaders Day. Um, the entire assembled leadership, every director through CEO of the company. And it was the day after they split with PayPal. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, they were having a low moment Mm -hmm. and not really knowing what the future exactly was going to hold. And I was on a customer panel and I introduced myself the way that I did on this call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the Johnny Appleseed of I, I Love You. I have this movement called I Love You World, and I love all of you. And we spent the next hour spending nothing about talking about I Love You for Business. Mm-hmm. 
And when that session was over, um, it was the greatest rock star move, uh, moment of my life. Oh my gosh. People rushed the stage <laughs> and said, you know, whatever you got, um, we want it here at eBay. And so um, it was a, you know, turning point in me going to the next um, level and working with the leadership and um, uh, an agency on really what was eBay's core value. How were they this stand for their customers and communities all over the world and being able to reclaim that. And um, out of that also, um, I got to go to uh, DC under their auspices and um, bring um, um, I Love You World to DC, which was a singular experience. Hmm. Fascinating. Amazing how just amazing how moments and movements are tied to one another. And, you know, one thing just leads to another and opportunities come from that that are so unexpected. Well, and for for me, it was you and I having this commonality with entrepreneurs' organization, mm-hmm. and uh, you know what an extraordinary global community. And um, my whole experience of EO was that everybody who was there were in the values camp. Mm-hmm they valued values as the driver in business um, more than anything. And most important because it brings uh, incredible simplicity and focus. When everybody in an organization knows what the values are and can cite them chapter and verse, it -hmm. makes every business decision infinitely simpler. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what your core is. Yes. If you strengthen that core, everything else comes with it. And your potential employees know it. Mm -hmm. uh, Your customers know it. And um, to me, it's the only way to live. It's the only way to live life. And if I'm going to be in business, really the only kind of business that I want to be involved in um, as an owner, as an employee, um, as as a uh, vendor or agency. Um, you know, my, my wife is from Thai culture and opposed to us in, in the West, they say life's too, life's long. Mm. So (laughs) (laughs) life is too long to, um, spend so many precious hours of your day with people that you're not aligned with. Very true. Absolutely. Very, very true. So, um, when, I was starting to um, write and really put the message out there, uh, I love you for business specifically and why it matters. Uh, I felt slightly like a lone voice. Mm-hmm. And my, my biggest um, mentor and my hero uh, is Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. And mainly because he brings such an unbelievable pragmatism to environmentalism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was um, at that time, I was the, uh, the parent of a very uh, young child. And um, Yvonne Chouinard, he quotes David Brower, the founder of modern uh, American environmentalism, the first executive director of the Sierra Club. 
uh, and saying that there's no business to be done on a dead planet. Mm. And, um, you know, for him, environmentalism is not touchy-feely. It's about um, the viability of humankind. And as the parent of a very young child, I feel that we in many ways have passed the fail-safe point. And unless we make a profound pivot, not five years in the future or 10 or 20, that there's a high probability that her generation um, is the last of humankind. Mm. So for me, I love you. And why not start every conversation with I love you, knowing what uh, benefits that that simple greeting causes? Uh, and how can anything be more simple mm-hmm. that, you know, I've got skin in the game. We, we need to try a little more I love you energy and seeing what it can affect so that we can pull back from the brink. And, you know, ultimately, the planet doesn't care. We're not even an asterisk at this point in, in, in the timeline of the planet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was reading one of her preschool books years ago, and in it, it said that you know, the planet formed about four and a half billion years ago. And not long after that, our atmosphere formed, and then the oceans formed. And for the last four billion years that there has been water on the planet, the same water recycles. Mm. And that just brought me such Mm. an incredible perspective, because for the last two billion years, every manner of thing from single-celled organisms on has crawled out of that water onto land and been Mm -hmm. the dominant species. And then entropy takes place and everything gets swept away and back into the water and the water is the constant. So if we make this environment um, so that it can't sustain human life anymore um, and we hasten our extinction, so be it. You know, we'll take tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other species with us, but the water will reclaim it all, and then the next thing will climb out of the water to be the next dominant species. Mm-hmm. That's not the future that I want for uh, my children and our generation's children and grandchildren. And we have a responsibility to be able to um, have this stewardship and to give them something better than the way that we found it. And so it's not only I love you for business, it's really I love you for one another and I love you for the earth and I love you for, for everything. Absolutely. And I, and I feel that as the millennials become, um, they accumulate more and more wealth and they become the more predominant um, buyers in our global marketplace, that they're really values-driven and that they do business with companies whose values align with their own and shun the ones that don't. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And I see this so much in the recruitment space that so many people are, you know, beyond salaries and beyond a compensation really want to align themselves with companies whose values um, they're in line with. 
and want to make sure that they're doing good. So it's, it's very, very prevalent in the recruitment space for sure. Well, and just in terms of the health and viability of any business, recruitment is huge. Uh, retainment is, uh, is another. Uh, but just the, the loyalty that you get when you have a lovable brand Mm-hmm. and how your customers then become your greatest marketing um, gift uh, because their evangelism is what really um, gives you exponential growth, keeps you viable, and, uh, um, you know, they're, they're everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I've just been so heartened um, recently to find the work of Brian DeHalf. So uh, with my second book, I Love You for Business and Why It Matters, I thought that I was going to have to create both halves. What does an I Love You business look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, how to build an I Love You business? And then the and why it matters part, which we've just been discussing. Mm-hmm. But Brian wrote Lovability, How to Build a Business that People Love and Be Happy Doing It. And he is the founder of AHA Roadmapping Software, which claims to be the most popular roadmapping software in the world, hmm. uh, 300,000 users. And he uh, is a serial entrepreneur, and he and his partner, I think, had five successful exits. And they were so um, disenchanted by the world of venture capitalism, um, building hypergrowth but not necessarily profitability, Um, all of the things that are the symptoms of the condition of 21st century business, that they decided to build a business that lovability was the driver. Mm -hmm. And so what AHAM roadmapping software does is it gives you all of the tools, structure, and metrics to build your own I love you business. Fantastic. <laughs> and um, every word of this book is just, it's got me jumping out, out jumping up out of my seat. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So it's if- just, it's just all on values, how your values are your products and your values are everything. And then how to use your values to be able to create that lovability, which is, and, and one of their key metrics, um, as it was for our business that we stumbled into, is I love you notes as a key metric. Mm. And he found that early on with his business that the growth percentage uh, quarter to quarter, year on year of the I love you notes that, that they received tracked exactly to their business's growth. That was their NPS score, the yes. I love you notes. Got it. And and the the percentage increase of uh, of that metric equaled their their growth as well. So for them, it was an uncanny one to one mapping. Mm. Um, so then I felt like, oh, I'm not alone after all. I'm I'm onto something, and others are too. And they're and they're writing the roadmap. Yeah, and I just need to find them, which is brilliant. Yes, and then you know, there's movements too, like. Um, the business roundtable last August. Um, it's the 2,000 biggest corporations in the world, 
and uh, since 1997 uh, in their mission and in their roadmap, it's all been about uh, shareholder primacy. And all of the corporations in the world have been driven uh, on the principle of shareholder primacy um, since 1997. Mm -hmm. And then last August, um, behind the efforts of Jamie Dimon, they said, we have to change this. Uh, this is not workable any longer. So they, um, they came up with an amendment, a new statement of purpose. And now their primacy is to their stakeholders. And their mm -hmm. stakeholders are their customers, their employees, and their shareholders. And, um, you know, a part of it might be greenwashing, but um, I think that it's driven by the fact that they realize that consumers are wise to them. And again, like we said, are not going to do business with companies that aren't ethical and that don't align with their own higher goals and their values. Especially, I think now with uh, with technology, customers have so much information at their fingertips that it is so easy for them to be able to do a quick comparison and to do a research on someone and something and make their decisions in a split second. So, um, tell me about uh, artisan creative and what your values are and how you how you guys are aligned with this conversation. You know, do you do you name it as square on as because I know that I mean really saying what's on the tin and I love you business or I love you as our core value is not for everybody. Um, but so how does it how does it look in your company? Yeah, so at Artisan, our core values were actually established by our employees. So we didn't go to an outside uh, firm to help us define it. We really looked inwardly to define it. And um, we always, I think, operated on this on these premises, but we had never really articulated what they were until, I want to say about two years ago, where we actually sat down and came up with the right wording, if you will. Um, what I think most closely resonates what we're just talking about is trust and creating relationships based on trust. So that is the, the why of what we do um, here. So our core values are you know, creating trusted relationships, uh, accountability, so being accountable to ourselves um, as well as to others. Uh, enthusiasm, to infuse enthusiasm in life and work. Because uh, as your uh, as your wife says, life is too long not to have, <laughs> <laughs> not to infuse enthusiasm into it. Um, agility, to demonstrate agility in thought and action, as well as accountability, really to be accountable. Um, actually, I think I said that already. And uh, communication, to communicate um, openly and clearly. So I think where we've built our business, this is our 24th year. Um, you have to really you know, believe in your values and stand on your values in order to be able to have a company that has such longevity and has employees who've been with you for that many years. Um, so I'm super proud of that. That's beautiful. That is super beautiful. That. Thank you. Thank you for asking about that, Joshua. And how do you um, how do you boil down uh, your values? Because the the reason why I ask is that uh, my mentor and entrepreneurs organization was the uh, legendary uh, Darius Masharzadeh, mm. and uh, he had such 
mastery around values. And in crafting our values, it took uh, took a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, past 10 words is just too long. No one's going to remember them. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so for us, it was uh, do what you say, say what you do on time, shine a light, and be generous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of those, of course, under the uh, umbrella of I love you. And I felt that every single one of those values was uh, a love-based value. So mm-hmm. did you come up with something as pithy uh, with uh, with artisan or? Yeah, I th- trust. I think that everything for us rolls into the umbrella of trust, creating nice. relationships based on trust. And, you know, with recruitment, uh, you know, you were talking about, uh, the business that you were in, um, you know, with recruitment, it's you have to build trust, and you have to build trust on both sides. You, you truly do have two sets of customers that you're you're servicing. You know, there there are the clients who are looking to hire, but it's also the talent that is looking for work. And to be able to build that bridge of trust between the two is critical. Otherwise. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and really, our mi- our goal and our mission has always been to uh, create opportunities on both sides that can be life changing, that can bring new opportunities to you know, the person who is out of a job and looking for looking to better themselves, and also for the company who has made the promises to their clientele base to deliver a product. And they need to be able to rely on their team to be able to deliver that product or deliver that brand promise. So yeah, for us, everything does roll back into the trust, the trusted piece. Well, and one of the uh, the other aspects that I'm thinking about right now uh, with AHA, they're a 100% remote company. As we are too. Yeah. Yes. So um, that's what I was thinking about, and it, in um, in my last position, we had uh, a globally uh, dispersed workforce, and that you have, um, uh, you know, you have a completely remote workforce. So mm-hmm. the values and that clarity around uh, who you are and where you stand is all that more critically important, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think to have a, a remote workforce, uh, trust is paramount in that. Accountability is paramount in that, and communication is paramount in that. So all of that really, you know, for us, it works. I know it's not the right, right type of a, a work environment for some people, and that's fine. But they know that in advance before we even have a conversation, and we know that going into it that it just won't match because we won't be matching on core values. So it's really critical to establish that. Um, which brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask you is obviously, as you know, we work with many small businesses, uh, many freelancers, and would love to be able to share with them a couple of pointers if they haven't yet looked inwardly as to their core values and to really define whether it's love or trust or what is that umbrella that they're uh, functioning under. How would they go about starting that conversation with themselves? That's that's such a great inquiry. And I think it's, again, when we talk about the fact that our the majority of our waking hours are uh, taken up by work, mm-hmm. 
And for me, it's been a struggle for the last 11 plus years of how do I resolve uh, my work life and my Clark Kent life with my passion life and uh, my superhero life. (laughs) And the more that I narrow it until I make them seamlessly one, the happier, more fulfilled and uh, less friction that there is in my life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, you know, inside uh, with Symantec nearly four years, it was the first time that I was ever client side. Um, I've either been a, a business owner or a um, a uh, you know a vendor uh, contractor or pretty much all of my varied careers and I think I'm on about my seventh career right now. <laughs> but Joshua 7.0. A 7.0, yes. Um, and you know, for me, it was like, how much do I have to keep the Clark Kent mantle when I'm inside a Fortune 500 company? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we protected the world's operating systems. Mm-hmm. If our thousand cyber warriors didn't come to work every day, none of this would be here. It's pretty black and white. Mm-hmm. And I got so early on that I worked for a pretty significant I love you company, keeping that degree of integrity and trust in systems. So there was no conflict, the fact that, well, I'm just doing this to be able to make a living and to provide for my family. And then there's my my superpower existence. Um, But how do I bring more of my superpower self to the workplace every single day? And when my team found out This is, I think, in my fourth month that I went to D.C. with eBay, and they couldn't wait to hear about the adventures of the I Love You Man in Washington, Mm D.C. And I didn't, we didn't get into the practice of starting and ending every single conversation in that work setting with I Love You, but it was unequivocal what my values were and what my stand was for our team and our company. And that was to be of um, service to create the maximum value and impact in absolutely everything that I did. Um, And that I just can't hide. So if you really have a good idea of what your drive is and why you feel like you're on this planet, and how you want to contribute every single day. Well, that's a great way to be able to wrap your arms around what your values are. And your personal values and your business values, are they, they better be aligned. They better be one and the same. So um, I know that that was, uh, you know, a roundabout answer, but um, I, I just don't, I think the more that you can just make sure that you have that absolute alignment, that holistic view of who you are as a person, what you're here to contribute, then it'll make uh, your decisions uh, around work, around the business that you build, around the companies that you choose to do business with, uh, it'll make them simpler. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Another question along the same uh, same line is, you know, again back to the freelancers that are out there, you know, being creative, um, you know, chasing customers, if you will. Um, how do you 
reconcile uh, and utilizing love here uh, as your biggest tool and as, as your biggest proponent here that when you are in a state of competition with somebody else to get a pitch or to get a job, um, or if you, you know, have been interviewing for the umpteenth time and not getting a particular role, how can you use this core value as something that will enable you to take the next step tomorrow and continue on? Man, that's, uh, again, you're just, you are coming up with the most fabulous questions. Um, first off, I started out, my first careers were in the entertainment business in LA. And I was an actor and a musician. And Boy, that's a toughie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to, to be in that field, you have to have a very un- precious relationship with failure. And even the the most successful, and unless you become a great big stinking movie star, um, you're going to fail 99.95% of the time. And uh, you just have to really have no conditions around it. And um, I just was able to get very early that it's not personal. You'd go in and you would read for producers, so the callback, the last, the last call before you get the job. And you'd go in and you would just kill it. You'd know that you were at your absolute peak and your pinnacle. And if it was a comedy, that they were just howling with laughter. And then you wouldn't get the job. And you know it's like, oh, no, they went with the blonde guy. You know, it's that they're <laughs> they're working with the Crayola 64 uh, color box. And depending on what kind of landscape that they're creating, they're going to use whatever colors uh, are going to maximize that landscape. So... I don't think that's never that's never gone away from me, and I just have a, a, a you know a deeply um, spiritual connection that uh, I am just part of the uh, I'm just an element of the universe, and that everything uh, unfolds perfectly, and um, my whole life has been stripping away of my um, my slavish addiction to how. You know, uh, my very analytical part says, this is the way it's going to be. Here's the roadmap, A, B, C, D, E, and here's the plan. And life never works that way. So <laughs> <laughs> I just... Um, uh, you know, I'm all in. I commit to opportunities, and I completely release them, knowing that uh, I just have to have a maximum release of what the how is, and trust that um, the very best outcomes and the ways for me to be most of service and to create maximum impact, those are the ones that come to me. And you know, 
everybody pointing back to Steve Jobs' commencement speech at Stanford in 2005 about only being able to connect the dots in retrospect, that everything looks accidental or everything looks disappointing or everything looks like failure uh, as you go uh, moving forward. But when you look back on it in retrospect, you see the miracle of all of it and how the very highest outcomes are and the lessons that we really need to learn are what we get served up every time. Boy, that is so true. Um, it, it's so true. It, I almost want to go back and you know, using love again, um, and you know, almost loving the failure because you learn so much from it. Yes, <laughs> right. Um, it doesn't seem that way when you're in it, but it's upon the upon reflection. I read this. Um, this quote, and I've used it before, not, not a quote, but this uh, commentary, uh, and I've used it before, um, the concept of post-traumatic growth. Um, are you familiar with it? No, please say more. I think, uh, I think the first time I heard about it, uh, it's uh, something that Adam Grant had mentioned, um, and it's the concept of when you go through trauma or when you go through something that it was really at the time you feel it's the worst thing that could have ever happened to you and you come out of it and you come out of it stronger and you come out of it because you've had all these life lessons and you come out of it wanting to make change and um, then actually because of that trauma do something better for the world. So for example, sorry about that. Um, for example, uh, to take someone who has maybe has battled a disease, let's say cancer, and they they come out of it and then they decide to fundraise for that cause or they run marathons for that cause or they become even healthier and stronger because of what has happened to them. And that's the concept of the post-traumatic growth that really resonates with me. And I, I look at failure that way too. Sometimes you're in the darkest of moments and you think there's just nothing good that's going to come out of this. And it does. Something Mir unexpected comes comes of it. Yes, miraculously every time. <laughs> yeah. So I will embrace. I will love failure. <laughs> Should it come my way, <laughs> there will be a lesson in there somewhere. Well, think. Uh, you know, I I can only imagine how many projects that you and the agency have bid on in the last twenty four years that you were the runner up. Oh yeah. Yeah. And will we will be more, right? And can you think of any specific examples of right right now of things that uh, you were in contention for that you thought was just going to change everything and you didn't get it, and then something else came up that was uh, in its in its way a game changer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say I think with uh, going back to recruiting, not so much on the project side, but going back to recruiting. Sometimes, when um, you know your candidate is second, you know, is the runner-up, and they don't get the job, and you think obviously you feel terrible for them because you know our whole purpose is to help them find a life-changing opportunity, and it doesn't happen. But then you're able to take that relationship with a candidate and then create another opportunity for them elsewhere that's actually even better. Um, and they flourish and you watch their career grow um, from where you first placed them to then 
where they, you know, a few years later, they're the hiring manager and just seeing that relationship come, you know, come full circle. And you realize that, you know, just because that one door closed at that moment, it doesn't mean that it's forever shut. Just, you just have to find a window <laughs> to go through. <laughs> That's beautiful. And then you get to have that, that pride, uh, the, the, of the, uh, the prideful parent, you know? Yeah. It's all about relationships like we were talking about, right? So if we can maintain that relationship, then all else will work. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, look at you and my, uh, you know, you and me just sitting here and having this conversation. And when we first met, there was this opportunity for us to be doing some work together and we did some and then things changed and now other opportunities will, you know, will come around that we can again collaborate on. So it's never a one and done thing. It's all about the relationship. Absolutely. And uh, the circumstances were that it was a company that was headed into uh, divestiture. Mm -hmm. So we knew that it wasn't uh, you know, it was a, it was hardship duty, and we knew that uh, it was a difficult time, and uh, that the odds of being able to create, say, a multi-year relationship with that set of circumstances was low. But, um, you know, I just had such love, respect, and likability for you. Uh, a lot of it had to do with our common ground and our come from a space of such deep integrity, but. We just knew that it was a, that it was a forever relationship, and if it worked out in that set of circumstances, great. But we'll have our we'll have our opportunities. Absolutely, yeah, I agree. And I think that's a good lesson for the freelancers out there who are listening to this podcast because they, for them, every day is having to you know chase another project or you know land uh, land another opportunity to to make a pitch and to just really recognize that it's really not the end of the world if you don't get it there's always another one around the corner i'm glad you brought that up too uh i think about the uh how i um my my uh, my deportment on linkedin so i have the ultimate uh love and utility uh, for the LinkedIn platform. And what's really beautiful is that um, in six weeks or so, I get to present the I Love You Made Easy Play Shop for at LinkedIn in days, development days. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that is just something that's based on pure relatedness. And uh, several years ago, uh, we had the intention to move to Switzerland. And when I first got that intention, I started building a network uh, in Switzerland. So everybody who I could connect with or who would accept my invitation or if I knew somebody uh, first degree who had a connection in Switzerland. I just started building this this large virtual network uh, in Switzerland. And so here I am five years later, 
And those that virtual network then became an in-person network. And uh, not only am I discussing a business relationship uh, with clients uh, in Switzerland, but they've invited me to speak at their private wealth conference. Uh, and I'm delivering I Love You for Business and Why It Matters to a room full of high net worth individuals and wealth managers. Hmm. And it's all just based on finding people on an open global social network and just being connected with them, sharing things with them that I think that will be of interest to them and they likewise. And if we're in the same city at the same time, we'll turn that virtual relationship into an in-person one. And again, the entire trajectory of your life uh, can change and pivot off of these little virtual connections. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So true. Um, for you, is there a particular audience size or company size that um, makes sense for you to be in front of um, and to share this message? Well, again, it's this maximum release of the how. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a, I, I've gotten the same message three times uh, from three different sources uh, over the last week that it's better to have uh, a thousand uh, customers who love you than a million customers <laughs> who are just meh. Yeah. Um, so for me, I just have this this thirst and this yearning uh, to be able to have impact at scale and to really shift uh, the conversation because I just think that we're in uh, we're up against it and um, as I said before that we need to make a profound shift now so fortune 500 fortune 100 companies if they get it well then just the choices that they make for instance Jeff Bezos, come, um, Bezos coming out and saying that he's committed $10 billion uh, towards uh, climate change and accelerating the roadmap of Amazon um, uh, conforming to the, uh, the Paris guidelines by 2040. And I think that's great, but 2040 is 20 years. That's too late. He's spending countless millions of dollars on on his Mars efforts and his um, his 21st century version of the moonshot uh, why doesn't he spend more of that uh, that effort right now on our own moonshot that's in front of us which is climate mm. so but then again to have a thousand customers that love you. I don't know where people who are at small companies or people who are individuals, who they'll come in contact with and who they will circuit in, um, in their network of conversations. So um, I'll do the work and I'll deliver the platform for one person or 10,000. Um, it's just being able to land that message for the right people and just trusting that those connections will be made and that this movement and this consciousness will just continue to scale and scale. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And um, hopefully with this message that we're sharing here today, um, it'll resonate with you know, so many people out there, um, and especially those that are in search of their own 
core values. And if they haven't quite figured it out yet, I think you've started out a really beautiful platform um, for them to jump into and kind of really question themselves as to why am I doing, what do I stand for, and where am I going with this? So thank you for that. Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, before I let you go, I um, wanted to make sure that the audience knows how to find you. Uh, well, at this point, it's rather easy. It's joshuaabramson.com with uh, no H in there. So it's A-B-R-A-M-S-O-N.com. And then for the uh, I, um, the I Love You Challenge, which gives you all of the ability and all the tools so that you can gain access yourself to get crazy freed up around sharing I Love You Like Candy. Uh, it's just uh, joshuaabramson.com forward slash I dash love dash you. And uh, I'm pretty active, uh, as I said, on LinkedIn and um, share a lot of content uh, that I think is aligned. And I'm starting a project that is a social media initiative called Hashtag I Love You World. Oh, I and love that. we're going to be seeing a lot of that over the next uh, couple of months. It's basically going into the middle of um, highly engaging conversations on social media. Uh, at first, uh, Facebook and Twitter. And those are the ones characterized by uh, fear-based conversations. So mm -hmm. they come out as, you know, angry or hatred, but that's just the band-aid that we're putting on fear. And dropping into the middle of those conversations, strictly people calling, calling people out by name. So John Smith, I love you. Hashtag I love you world. Mm -hmm. And then we're building out this whole body of content around hashtag I love you world that basically says, this is I love you world. This is the I love you challenge. Uh, please take it on. And we're looking to be able to uh, scale this and really change the tenor of this uh, fractured um, uh, level of discourse that we have in social media and to really up level it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Artisan Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Artisan Creative, a staffing and recruitment firm specializing in creative, marketing, and digital talent. You can find us online at artisancreative.com or via social channels at Artisan Creative. We look forward to connecting.